early read week one betting preview. Had on Smitty today to talk about the whole week one betting slate, some takeaways from the week zero slate, how we're adjusting to the new clock rules. We got into a bunch of games talk, the biggest games on the board, as well as some of the ones further down the card. Hope you guys enjoy. We'll be back Thursday morning with a best bet show going through all my week one plays. Here is the early read week one betting preview. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Early Read, our first full slate of the college football season. It's our week one bet review. And to do that, brought on friend of the podcast, Smitty, at Smithers513. Smitty, pumped to have you on, man. How's it going? It's going great. Yeah. Big honor to be on here week one. Uh, yeah, I've been dying to get into the weeds with college football. Week zero is like, uh, it's like getting a very small appetizer that doesn't taste too good. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, the full week one slate. After some of the decision making seen on Saturday, uh, yes, it was. I'm happy the day was over. I got after like the full slate after the La Tech, uh, whatever that game was, and <laughs> you know, I, I finish up and you know, I walk in and like I'm like I say to my girlfriend, she's like, "How are the games?" I'm like, "Pretty terrible," but like I'm glad that like I got like the you know the headaches, the the uh, heart beating a little fast. I'm, I got that all in the week zero slate, so I'm like. It's good to get that going again. It's good to get those muscles working again. It makes you it makes you feel young again. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and uh, especially I had uh, Ohio and then uh, seeing Rourke get uh, nearly decapitated there after coming off his ACL. So it was a nice welcome back to college football betting for me. So, yeah, but uh, I'd rather just jump right into the fire. Well, we'll talk some week zero takeaways. But first, get you acquainted with the viewers. I guess what's your background in sports betting, college football betting, and yeah, just kind of introduce yourself to the early read listeners. Yeah, so I've loved college football since I was a kid. Uh, I grew up in Cincinnati, so we didn't really have a ton of, you know, Cincinnati now is not what it was. Uh, they were, you know, kind of mucking around in the Conference USA when I was a kid. But I think kind of growing up in Cincinnati and how terrible our sports teams have been kind of led me into being a good better uh, just because I was kind of already emotionally dead and apathetic uh, <laughs> as a kid. So I think I had a pretty good read. I was never, you know, afraid to. Uh, fade my teams and um, you know I've always loved college football I went to Kentucky I got there in the fall of 07 which was that crazy uh, season uh, which is lives in uh, college football war but um, yeah just being able to see all those teams roll in and then yeah started betting freshman year which uh, that's a long time ago, a lot of CD, uh, offshore websites, but, uh, yeah, just been following it for a long time. Uh, been posting plays on Twitter since I think like 2011 or 2012. So been on there for over a decade or so. So yeah, I just love it. It's a, you know, I think I love the sport, you know, form first and foremost, and you know, the betting is, is fun and I just enjoy the grind. Yeah. It's, uh, I like how you started. Yeah, I started betting like, you know, freshman year of college. I feel like that's like the start of everyone's uh, like betting. Uh, anyone 100%. that has like, yeah, that it always starts freshman year. Uh, but yeah, pumped to have you on. Before we get into our week zero takeaways and what we're going to be talking about this entire episode, I want to tell you about the good friends over at Profit Exchange, our sponsor of the show. They've created a way to make guaranteed money every day. Seriously. Introducing Profit Boost. Head your favorite sportsbook boost with Profit Boost. Follow at Profit Boost on Twitter to be alerted there next time there is a free money opportunity. Join the growing community of bettors who are on pace to make an extra $4,000 this year using Profit Boost alone. 
Sign up for Profit Exchange today and get a no sweat first bet up to $100 when you sign up with the code early read. That's early read, E A R L Y R E E D. Available in the Apple and Google Play Store. Must be 21 plus and present in New Jersey. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. All right. So, how the show is going to go today, a little bit interesting and a little different than it will typically be because these lines have been out for six to you know, eight weeks, maybe more than that. So, a lot has been taken off the bone, but there's still betting opportunities out there, just maybe not as much or there's as much to say, especially on the bigger games. But we're going to start talking about week zero because it was a small slate and there were some interesting things going on there. Then me and Smitty will both go through a few week one plays that we are eyeing and then we'll make sure to hit some of the bigger games on the slate. We're talking like your Utah, Florida, Florida State, LSU and the like. So let's talk week zero because I think everyone whether it was on Twitter or even you know, in like the broadcast booths and everything, we're talking about the plays and the play calling and the new running clock. For those unaware, college football changed their rules this year where it used to be a first down, they'd stop the clock at any time in the game. Now that's only in the last two minutes of each half. Uh, there were some numbers out there. The average last year was about 68.6 plays per game last week. 63.3 very small sample only seven games but i think you could see it was expected to lose like five plays or so and we saw that last week and that's including the navy notre dame game which was like one of the slowest games in recent memory i think it was like 55 plays or something like that 50 maybe a little bit more than that but still incredibly slow i would say maybe the more interesting takeaway is possessions were down nearly two from 12.6 last year to 10.9 per sports source analytics overall though Unders went four and seven, four of seven. So four and three total. I personally think it's a little overblown. Smitty, any thoughts here on the new clock and its impact? Are you taking anything away from week zero or you're still waiting to see a bigger sample size? You know, that's a good question. I, I'm kind of landing in the same boat as you that I think it's a little bit overblown, but, you know, I, I think maybe is a good, good kind of data point to extrapolate there where, you know, a team like them that relies on those possessions because they're, so valuable to them. I think that's going to have a bigger impact, but yeah, I mean, I'm kind of still holding a kind of wait and see approach. Cause yeah, I I'm kind of with you. It was kind of hard to really glean too much from it, but then again, we, you know, kind of were dealt a little a small, uh, small card there to kind of get a good sit data point to go from. Yeah. I, I think also Jacksonville state was by like a per minute standpoint, the fastest team, which I think was expected based on who was playing this past weekend in terms of like tempo teams, Jacksonville state, came in one of the faster teams in the FCS rank. So I'm not surprised Rich Rod's team ranked that high. But I also think like the unders went four and three, but you look back at which games went under and why. I mean, UTEP Jacksonville State, I had the over, so I'm, I'm well aware of what happened in that game. For those that didn't watch, just like Dana Dimmel must have still been on summer vacation or something, or I don't know. But some of the play calling and the decision-making in that game, I think prompted the 17-14 final, I think. There were a few plays and decisions that could have pushed that total, maybe not over the total, but definitely could have helped this get into the 20s. Uh, Sonny Cumbie, fourth string running back, was still kind of running him way too much when La Tech was kind of moving the ball, especially in the second half at will uh, in the passing game. Uh, the Ohio over was kind of cursed when Rourke went out. I think it was either like late first, second quarter. He was out and CJ Harris looked you know, terrible. I think 18 for 42, three picks. It was a disaster. So I think 
the decision decision making made the totals also a little deflated i'd say so i'm i think you can't jump and be like oh well like the clock's running look at all these games that landed low scoring like this one's going under because look at umass and mexico state you still kind of the fourth quarter all hell broke loose 41 30 final that game was slow as shit in the first half it was yep. was 10 10 in the first half and uh or maybe it was 13 10 13 10 going into the fourth i think and it finishes 41 30 because the teams finally let let up uh, let loose a little bit, and the game really picked up. So I think you still need don't like just jump and like blind bet unders. And I don't think the market's really taken to it. Like oh, like this is clearly something here. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think you can also look at you know just classic week one knocking rust off too. So you don't know how much that might have impacted things as well. So yeah, I, I agree with everything you said there. Yeah, I think, I mean, Jacksonville State also, like, it was like 130 degrees on the field. They, were, they kept talking about it on the broadcast. Rich Rod was like, he was wearing a light gray shirt, and by the end of the first quarter, it was a dark gray shirt. So <laughs> maybe that played a role in it. But I just think that's the what everyone's going to talk about. And I just think do not, like, blindly assume that this is going to be an under thing. I will say the clock was moving a lot, and as I was watching, it did feel like the game was moving sounds stupid but like it did feel like the game was moving much faster with the clock running but that might be like more of a subjective thing what do you think just in general of the running clock versus the old college football way yeah no I was a fan of it um you know I there's nothing that you know chaps my ass more than when I have to flip over to like ESPN news to catch the first you know (laughs) entire first quarter of a game that you're wanting to watch so I think anything we can kind of get the time windows uh under a reasonable limit because you know it was getting kind of absurd but yeah you know I'm I'm still kind of with you there I just it's kind of hard to really take too much away from it and uh yeah I think you know blindly going into to a strategy with unders there it could be you know fool's errand especially if we start seeing some you know more talented offenses this week yeah for sure any other like big takeaways from weeks here? I guess like Notre Dame, a team I had some questions for. They played Navy. Did you take a big takeaway? Like I saw people talking. This team like really looks like playoff upside. Are you the same way, or how are you taking this Navy? They won forty two three. The game was over pretty quickly. Yeah, a great question. I mean, I had Navy pregame. I kind of talked myself into Navy hanging around in that one, making life difficult between the tackles, which, you know, obviously dead wrong. But, you know, I definitely think Sam Hartman gives him way more upside. Um, you know, I think their floor is at least raised. I don't know what the ceiling is. Playoff mm-hmm. contender, you know, they might grow into that. But I think their floor is at least raised to at least offensively to avoid those stinkers that happened last year. Maybe had a little bit of the inexperience from the offensive coordinator and, you know, Freeman's uh, you know, coaching, you know, lack of experience as well. So I think the the floor is for sure raised. I, I'm not ready yet to get there, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I wouldn't certainly be, certainly wouldn't be surprised. I, I liked a lot of what I saw from them, but um, yeah, I, I was impressed for sure. Yeah. I, I was a little bit, I, I also was on Navy pretty, I felt great about it going into the game. I just thought there were a lot of factors. And then even after the first drive, I was like, okay, I still think Navy can move the ball. And they tried tempo early, and they actually were kind of moving the ball. Yeah, it worked for a little drives. bit. And then that uh, it was the first drive. They go for it, two guys wide open, and they run into each other because I – like I, yeah. I, it was – and then from there, kind of the wheels fell off. I do agree with you. Hartman definitely gives them some sort of a reliable factor under center and someone that could command an offense. I still don't know if the weapons are there on the outside. And I'm not sure you were going to see that in this Navy game. Mm -hmm. I think more 
you're right. I think you nailed it on the head. Notre Dame floor might be higher because this passing game seems like it has an ability to go much more than last year for sure. I still wonder though, like week three, NC State, a team I'm high on going into the year. I think that mark the market might come in kind of hot on Notre Dame, especially after what everyone saw a standalone game against Navy absolutely demolish them. I think NC State, that's like a real test where you're going on the road to Raleigh. I still think I'm probably going to have a bet on NC State, assuming we get the number. I mean, can like, will it go to like a touchdown? That's probably too much, right? Like probably closer to like four, four and a half. Yeah, you know, I that NC State, you know, briefly, I'm so intrigued to watch. I mean, Armstrong is the guy that was probably one of my favorite players to watch a few years ago, and then you know, last year, whatever that was. So, you know, yeah. I definitely, I didn't, I think Doran, that NC State team, settling into a role that's way more well suited for him as far as you know, maybe sneaking up on people. The the hype was pretty outrageous last year. So, yeah, no, I'm I'm def- that one circled. So, yeah, we'll see what kind of number we get. Yeah, I, I think definite dog. I'm hoping. Uh... We'll see. I mean, everyone's might fourteen might pop on NC State this week uh, against at UConn, which is crazy to me. So maybe uh, people aren't as high on NC State. Um, another one, uh, Hawaii looked far more competent. I think a lot of people saw what um, Hawaii was doing at the end of the season, set, covered in seven of the last eight games. They go to Vanderbilt right in that game, pretty much the whole way. Had a lot of bad breaks also, like dropped interceptions, um, goal line interception for Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt takes back a kick. Uh, but Hawaii covers a 17-point underdogs, seven-point um, loss overall, lose 35-28, but like incredibly competitive. Uh, Shager looks much better under center. I think Hawaii, definite stock up. I The market definitely has jumped on Hawaii. Also, this week at home against Stanford in week one, uh, they're now like, I think a three and a half is it on Friday night uh, on the island? Let me see. Yeah, three and a half there now. Uh, Smitty, Hawaii. Were you, was this a team you were like looking to play on, trending up this year, or like now is the market a little too chaotic? You know, that's a good question. I definitely, trending up was, you know, kind of my gut read on them. Um, I would say just, you know, from a biggest takeaway, you know, just what I'm going to remember from week zero biggest winners in my opinion. Uh, also, I think there's a lot that we can take away from Vandy. Uh, the O-line was awful. Uh, the secondary, it seemed like guys were running wide. Um, so yeah, yeah I, I, you know, I'm very concerned for Vandy if that doesn't get patched up, which, you know, I don't know that that seems like more of a, a talent thing than anything else to me. So once they start to get into the meat of the SEC schedule, I, I don't know. So we'll wait and see on that one. But yeah, Hawaii biggest winners uh, as far as my, you know, gut read watching the games on Saturday. Yeah, last one, just because I think it deserves praise. Uh, Tyson Fomachon for UMass. I mean, absolute. Like, the, I think that was what, like, Dabo Sweeney was hoping for when uh, he got to, when he recruited him to Clemson. Uh, finished the game only 10 of 17 for 192 yards, but 92 yards on the ground, was making plays with his legs. Uh, UMass puts up 41 points. I had a pick six in there, but going on the road and being New Mexico State, UMass, I, I think it opened the win total as one and a half. Uh, that's going to go over. <laughs> yeah, no, you got to feel good about that over. one. Yeah, so uh, shout out to Fomachan. I don't know really if there's much to talk about UMass long term. Maybe it's more New Mexico State who had a win total of like six and a half. I saw a lot of love. Conference USA their first year in the conference, maybe competing at the higher level. That was a concern, of course. But uh, Don Brown and the Minutemen uh, getting one and oh. I, when's the last time UMass started one and oh? 
Uh, but yeah, any any takeaways from UMass? Again, this is a week zero slate, so you're, we have to kind of dive through diving through the dumpsters. Yeah, no, I mean, I th- I'm kind of with you. Just I'm excited to see them have a real football team. Uh, you know, it was getting kind of depressing just kind of putting them on the list for like, okay, how bad? Like, you know, we like to evaluate how good teams are going to be. And like UMass, it was like, where is the floor here as far as how bad they were? Uh, so I'm just excited to see them, you know, in, as a competitive team. Uh, you know, box score wasn't great to them but you know it felt like they were in control so you know not one of those games that you know you're gonna look back as fluky or anything like that but yeah no I, th- I definitely think the running aspect gave them a lot to a lot to lean on offensively and yeah I mean I think they're definitely gonna be pesky and I foresee some wagers on them in the future this season for yeah. sure um I, glo- I glossed over but the Ohio San Diego State game with Rourke getting injured um, my own takeaway as someone who had, I ended up betting San Diego state late, uh, later in the week when the number dropped inside of field goal minus one thirty five. I bet on the money line. So we were talking about it before the game and you liked Ohio, you bet Ohio. I bet San Diego state on the money line. I had my reasons. You had yours looking back on it. I think I got pretty lucky that Rourke was out based on how that first quarter went. Ohio moved the ball pretty much at will, uh, Head coach Tim Alvin said, not a serious injury. He's probably going to – Rourke's probably going to play against Long Island, which kind of weird that he didn't come back in the game then. Um, Watching that game, though, I guess even from the San Diego State side, did you have any takeaways from their Ohio second choice to win the MAC? Any thoughts on how they looked as a whole? Yeah, no, I I think – I'm kind of with you. You know, I wouldn't say lucky. I mean, San Diego State did the most, you know, San Diego State performance of all time. You know, they didn't really look good, but in key key situations, they showed up big. Uh, special teams are always like, you know, having that reliable of a kicking game is such a weapon when you're playing those low-scoring games. So that's something I always kind of tend to forget. But, you know, I mean, they played exactly what they've been doing for years. Uh, their brand of football was exactly, you know, as advertised. But, you know, I, I think Ohio, you know, once work got hurt, I think it just kind of, threw the whole offense out of rhythm. The running game kind of took a back seat and then, yeah, not, not some very good decisions made by uh, the backup there, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would bet it again at Ohio if I was looking 100%. at the same thing, but you know, it is what it is this week one. It's gambling for a reason or week zero. Yeah. We, it's gambling for a reason. So it is what it is. hundred uh, percent. Browning kicker slash punter. I don't know where Brady Ho keeps pulling these guys. Seriously. Out. Like that could do it all. And like, it, it's funny. He drilled, uh, 49 yarder like first drive down for san diego state i think it was like drilled mm-hmm. it like good yeah. from like 60 and then they line up i think it was the second drive or the third drive and it was a 38 yard field goal and it was like dead wrong like it was like completely to the right it was completely pulled not even close uh 38 yarder so i was like all right well now i don't know but i mean he was booting like 55 yard punts, six yard punts and then i i still don't know what san diego state was thinking on that fourth and three uh, I don't need that was one of those where you're watching and you're like is are they what, what's going on like am I, am I am I behind is my tv frozen like what's what's up I was like okay he's probably gonna take a delay a game and they'll just like for more room to punt or something and you know maybe drop them inside the five because you punt even if it's a touchback you add 25 yards there was like 40 seconds left no timeouts like why are you even bothering trying it was it, who cares you could win the game just by punting at this point uh that was one of the many uh, just absolute brain dead decision making. Nothing was worse than Dana Dimmel, though, with uh, the third and ones, third and one, and then fourth and one passing when he could have easily gotten uh, an easy first down, probably just sneaking it twice. But I mean, he tried the rugby play in the first quarter. But um, yeah, uh, before we get to some week one bets, any other takeaways you saw, Smitty, that I think we 
covered most of it, but anything else you saw uh, in the week zero slate that you want to mention, shout out anybody, uh, what else you say? No, I mean, I, th- I think we kind of ran down everything. So yeah, I'm good. All right, cool. Let's go week one for how this uh, schedule is usually going to go for me. We'll have a guest on, on the early week show. And then I'm going to do my best bet show ahead of the week. Mine's a little bit more widely available and I'll probably just kind of fire off all the bets that are still in range for me early week though, a little bit less, a little bit more dialed back and just kind of kind of talk more through the games and talk about kind of big picture stuff. But I'll go first. I'll start San Jose state, Oregon state. I played over 54 and a half today. Um, I want to wait and see how San Jose State looked in the game against USC. First off, USC's defense still sucks. I don't care what anybody says. That team is not going to the college football playoff. 100%. Uh, that, that team is still buns. But San Jose State, though, going to give them credit. Scored 28 points. The offensive line that returned all starters, including two rising sophomores, that was very inexperienced last year, looked much better, only allowed one sack on USC that was blitzing heavy. Cordero looked good. I mean, they put up uh, decent numbers you know, graded out, you know, top 30 percentile in terms of EPA per play. Didn't even have their number one receiver in Lockhart, and they still were able to get 28 points. And this was a competitive game for the first half. Um, it got away from them in the second half, but San Jose State held up nicely. Defense was still a big issue. They do lose their two key pass rushers in Hall and Thiaco. So I expected San Jose State's offense to take a leap with Cordero, a veteran, coming back. I think that he can make some plays both as a passer and a rusher. And then the defense is going to take a serious step back. And we saw that allowing 56 points to USC. Now they play Oregon state, a team that plays really slow, going to keep this on the ground. I know they have DJU, but I think this is still going to be a rush first offense with an elite offensive line that is going to lean on guys like Damian Martinez to run wild. I mean, they averaged um, you know, top 40 in success rate. This was an offense that really kept the state ahead of the sticks and they really made good on it. I think they're going to be able to rip off explosive plays here and average you know, close to six yards of carry every time they run just with a massive size advantage. Um, again, they averaged nearly six yards a clip last season, big offensive line for Oregon state top 25 in sacks allowed and tackles for loss allowed. So I think they're going to have a big push and they're going to push around San Jose state issue is Oregon state plays slow. I just think they're going to rip off explosive plays and, you know, be able to push into the high thirties, maybe even the forties in this one total of 54 and a half. The, the, way I see this one and the reason why I like San Jose state to do some of the lifting here and maybe even get a cover in is Oregon state's defense, a little smoke and mirrors last year, they were top 15 explosive pass rate. They only allowed a touchdown on 50% of red zone chances last year. That was top 20 in the country. They lose two pro cornerbacks in Wright And um, Alex Austin, they lose their top tackler in Omar Spates to LSU they didn't rush the passer a lot. I mean, this was a team only 16 sacks last year, bottom 10 in the country. So if Oregon State's not going to be able to rush Cordero and they lose two guys at corner, I just feel like San Jose State is going to be able to maybe outperform their team total and you know push into the mid-20s and keep this game close. I know the clock might be running a little bit faster with Oregon State on the ground, but I just think San Jose State is going to struggle to keep up and stop them, but their offense could do the heavy lifting. So I think this one looks maybe more something like, 42-28 rather than what's the implied here, 35-19, if I did the math right, something like that. I, I think San Jose State could outperform that expectation. So I'm going to go over 54 and a half uh, in Oregon State, San Jose State. Smitty, what do you think? 
No, I like it. I uh, I was I was pretty impressed with San Jose State. Really, I mean, I, that was kind of one of those where you know USC plays. I, I kind of enjoy handicapping their games now, just because it's kind of like San Diego State, where like they have an mo. They're not going to deviate from it too much. You know, the, the game scripts can be fairly predictable uh, from from that perspective. But you know, I, San Jose State. You know, I, my biggest takeaway was you know I would not be surprised at all if they contend in the Mountain West. So you know, I think you, you I, I think you're probably looking at this game the same way I probably would end up arriving to it. I didn't dive too deep in on that one, but you know, I definitely agree with <clears throat> your sentiments for sure. All right, give me one. What are you What are you eyeing uh, early in the week here? Yeah, uh, I won't start uh, with too sick of a, a play <laughs> down the board, but uh, I I keep coming back to Illinois uh, under ten. If we can, yeah, I, that should be available for you right now as of Monday after evening. But against Toledo, um, you know, I just think has quickly put his imprint on this team. You know, they kind of came out of nowhere last year, but I think they're set up for success. Uh, I think running the ball, they should do just fine. Uh, I think I'm with Alt Altmeyer. I, I Based on the buzz and everything I'm reading, uh, they're expecting a good leap from him. So I think if you're getting you know above average quarterback play from them, you know that just adds another dimension. D line I think should be strong again. Secondary could be good again as well. And yeah, I just think this might be a game where we're just getting a really undervalued uh, Illinois team. And yeah, you know, I, I think it, I don't know how the first half is going to go, but I just think it's kind of a game that Illinois imposes their will. And you know we look up and it's a you know three score game here late in the third, early in the fourth, and they kind of pull away. Yeah. I- I can't get – I never feel like I have a feel that was uh, a little bit of a tongue twister there. But uh, Toledo, especially on offense with Finn, they run so hot and cold that I can see, you know, especially coaching with Candle, like two mis- – even if it's a competitive game, I could see them playing themselves out of it with a few boneheaded decisions. And Illinois, that maybe, like you said, in the second half, just kind of with their big offensive line kind of starts pushing around Toledo, who, I mean, this is the MAC champion, but – I just think they don't have the the horses to keep up with a physical Illinois team. I, I'm definitely interested. I mean, it's a look ahead, but you have any thoughts on Kansas, Illinois? I I think I don't know if Illinois has the offensive firepower to keep up with like a Kansas team. Yeah, no, that's that's gonna be such a fun game to watch, which yeah. sounds wild to say. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I feel like it's one of those games that either Illinois it gets out early. He's running the ball down their throat. You know, Kansas is just playing on their heels and with a razor thin margin for error and Illinois kind of ticks and tacks them. But, you know, at the same time, are we really positive that if Illinois gets out of their, you know, preferred game script and Kansas gets up 14, nothing quick, like, you know, what, what happens there? But yeah, I, I can't wait to watch that one. <laughs> yeah. That's a Friday night game too. So that'll be a lot of fun. Um, another one from me. Uh, so, I, I was eyeing this one, and then I saw I hadn't played it, and I saw I believe it was uh, right on the sports played uh, ULM or they played Army against ULM through seven and a half up to ten. Now uh, I'm taking ULM in this one. I just think I I mean seven and a half. I was considering playing it now, getting a key number of ten widely available. I know these two teams met last year, and Army smoked them. I, I think it was like forty one twenty four Army. But that line closed with Army laying six and a half at home. I don't know with the change in location, it's now going to be at home. Louisiana Monroe is going to be at home. How are we upgrading Army that is admittedly changing place, changing their complete philosophy on offense? A lot of moving pieces. And you got a quote from uh, Munkin here. um, Quote, this is from Yahoo Sports like last week. 
Quote, the offense is a work in progress. We've never run it together in a game, Munkin said of coordinator Drew Thatcher's new design. So we're going to find out a lot next week. It's really hard to get those answers when we're in practice or when we practice against the defense or the scouts. So I, I get ULM isn't a world beater, probably a bottom five to 10 team in the entire country, but a new offense like this, are we sure they're going to be able to just run it up here and win by two scores on the road? It's going to be 95 degrees on Saturday. I just think this is like a crazy upgrade. I just don't know where, where the market is seeing such sentiment with army to win with margin. I I get that ULM is going to be bad, but this is like a pure numbers play here taking uh, ULM catching 10. I mean, army in a rare spot is a double digit favorite against an FBS team granted a low level one, but on the road, I just think you got to take ULM here at, at 10 or more. Yeah. I don't have strong conviction on this one, but you know, I, I think the same theory uh, as far as the Army offense is something I drank the Kool-Aid on with Navy. You know, things are going to change. And then, you know, they did for a little bit. And then it's like, what happens when you get punched in the mouth? Like, you're, mm-hmm. you know, revert to old ways. You know, what are we going to see there? So I, I agree with your sentiment for sure, uh, but not a lot of strong conviction for me one way or the other on that one. Yeah, I, I would say I a lot of questions for you all on offense, of course. I mean, it looks like to me Gia Wright, the veteran, doesn't have a lot of experience and maybe army catches them on a few deep pass and stuff. And I like Jeff Munkin as a coach, but I just think um, again, just a lot of, a lot of confidence that army's offense is going to just hit the ground running here with a complete departure and scheme. Cause it's not like they've recruited whether it's receivers or a quarterback that could really open up the passing game. This is still the triple option army that is departing from what has been their bread and butter for, you know, years and decades now. So to me, I just think it's a U. It has to be ULM. It's just a pure system play. Maybe it doesn't work out and they get smoked, but I, you know, I could sleep easy knowing I I got over a touchdown fading Army on the road while they're trying to transition in a new offense. I'll pay to see it. All right, Smitty, what else you got? What what else? Give me a, give me a sick one though. Give me give me something a little bit further down the board. All right, uh, we can do that. Um... One I was looking at uh, Friday night, <clears throat> excuse me, was um, Central Michigan at 14 and a half uh, at Michigan State. Um, a little bit more of just a, a fade on Michigan State. You know, I don't know if I'm reading into it too much, but, you know, with Thorne and uh, Coleman leaving, it's like, especially Thorne after you know, spring, it's like, yeah, what did they see? Um, you know, I, I think there's definitely some merit to questioning what Mel Tucker's you know, coaching capabilities are really. And, you know, I think I, uh, I can't remember if, where I saw the stat, but, um, you know, the directional schools against these you know, Michigan and Michigan state, I think Michigan state has lost the last three of, of any of them as well. So, or maybe, maybe it was two, I can't remember exactly, but, you know, just kind of a pure, just fade on Michigan state. Um, you know, I'm a, pay to be wrong there but you know i feel like central michigan getting a little bit of a bounce back this year if McWayne, i think you got to trust him a little bit uh to rebuild on that you know there were i think there were eight minus 18 in turnover margin last year which you know in the mac is a death sentence so you know i think that record might not have been as bad as, as it looks on paper so i think i'm just kind of leaning into the fact that uh, i think i'll pay to find out that mel tucker doesn't have a shit together right now <laughs> yeah uh, i i tried thinking like i Wanted to play against Michigan State on like the win total. I just I can't get to it. I just think this is a team you need to. It's like just toxic there. You just, both in like a bad. Like I don't want to fade them too much because like the market has jumped so far away from them. Like last year was the year mm-hmm. to do that. I have no opinion here. I will say in Central Michigan, 
I don't think they named, maybe they did today and I missed it, but I hope it's Bert Emanuel as the starter because his Mac run, like in December, was one of the most epic ones ever. I, he only, I think he started three games, only passed like eight times, but he ran for like an average of 200 yards in those games, especially in like freezing Midwestern, uh, like whether it was like Michigan, Ohio, yeah. uh, Illinois, just ran absolutely wild. I hope they end up starting him. Definitely opens up the ceiling a little bit against a Michigan State team that, I mean, first of all, it's a low total. So total sitting at 45 mm-hmm. now, dog catching two touchdowns. I think uh, definite, you know, cause for optimism to take the dog, especially if they start a manual. I think they have some offensive upside, at least in that game. Um, any other week one bet you want to mention here? I'm going to – I I had another one that got played out of what I like, but, um, you know, another one. What else you got? Yeah, I can do a couple quick hitters. Um, I was, yeah, I was looking at uh, the Washington uh, Boise State over fifty eight and a half. I think is available right now um, okay. Monday night. Um, I just think it's going to be two offenses that are going to be going up and down the field. Uh, you know, Washington's secondary last year left a lot to be desired. I think that leans right into what Boise's going to try and do. And you know, on the flip side, I, I don't know that anyone's really going to be slowing down Penix this year. So you know, I just think it's a game that I, I think it's played in the thirties to forties versus the high 20s so you know, i think it's just a game that yeah, I, I just more often than not i just see this one going over so that's just kind of one that's been drawing my eye here early yeah i think that's a, okay so i had i haven't played it yet i was hoping like if this moves during the week i'd come back and play i was i was thinking about playing it with washington their defense gives me some pause but you look at boise's defense i mean this is andy avalos has had this defense humming but I mean, they lose a bunch in the secondary. They yeah. lose like four of their four of their top five guys. The only guy back is uh, Rodney Robinson, who had three picks last year at safety. I think Boise. I mean, we talked about this in the Mountain West preview, but that's a favorite, like a vulnerable favorite at the top of the Mountain mm-hmm. West. So I would. I don't know if I could trust Washington to like cover fourteen, assuming it ever drops in that. The over might be a look though. I'm. I'm a. I. You might be onto something. I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna write that one down. Yeah, that's uh, kind of where I was, you know, going with it. I initially was starting to look at Washington, and you know, with the defense being a little suspect, it's like, do they? They might just be in that perfect over sweet spot where they're not up enough that they call off the dogs, and you know, Boise's competent enough offensively, they just kind of keep nipping at their heels, and you know, you look up and it's you know, forty five twenty seven, and you get home safe. Yeah, no, I, I, at least we look the same way. I would say like. If it's not Washington, it's probably over. Like, I don't really see many paths to, like, Boise slowing this game down and, you know, dragging this one into, like, weird Same. waters or anything. I think Washington probably rolls. All right, let's keep workshopping this. What else What else? You, what else you have uh, written down for the show? Yeah, uh, I might regret, you know, putting this much faith in Akron football, but I, I just don't uh, – looking at Akron and Temple, I just don't see – 10 points of difference. You know, if you look at Akron, the way they finished this, the record was terrible, but they finished strong in a lot of one score games to end the season. You know, I think giving Moorhead an extension uh, was a vote of confidence in the direction they were going. And, you know, if you kind of digged into the transfer portal stuff, you know, Akron was getting some power five, some low level power five transfers coming in, which I think that's a good sign as far as, you know, just beefing things up. And I think you got to maybe trust Moorhead a little bit, you know, Warner for Temple, I I think is going to be solid, but I just, you know, looking at these two teams on paper, I just was struggling to find 10 points of discrepancy there. And Temple has 
no home field advantage whatsoever. Uh, so yeah. I, that seemed kind of mitigated in my point. So, or in my view, excuse me. So I, you know, it's just a game that I think is probably going to be ugly. And I just, you know, from a pure value perspective, I just couldn't get there to 10 with Temple. So I, I think Akron probably end up making my card. Yeah. I, both teams that I uh, talked up in the preseason, I, I like both teams. I think Akron, I mean, the win total jumped up like a full win and then some for Akron and Temple, I think is going to be sneaking the AAC Warner's one of the like Temple's offense still sucked, but it got out of the basement when Warner took over the job. I know like they got smoked by UCF and stuff, but that Temple team is on the rise. I don't know if it's enough to cover double digits in like an opening week, but mm-hmm. come AAC time, that's a, a dangerous team with a good defense. And in my opinion, one of the better quarterbacks. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I, I agree with that in its entirety. It's just, as of right now, it's like, yeah, I just yeah. wasn't seeing it. But, yeah, no, I, I think it's it's kind of one of those where you do a lot of preseason research and you're like, man, two, two of my babies are facing each other and I don't know what to do right now. <laughs> yeah, there's also nothing worse, though, when, like, the team from last year, you have to start, like, fading or, like, not yeah. have, like, bets on them. Like, you have to – like, it's, like, one-year things. It's, like, a yeah. rental. It's, like, a loan in, like, a, in soccer. Like, you can't, like, fall in love with these teams too much because that's when they start to bite you. You got to, you know, know when to buy and when to sell these guys. For sure. Yeah. That's, uh, uh, that's one of my biggest weaknesses is just you know, not being able to emotionally detach from a cash cow the year before. Yeah. Uh, that's like me with Ohio this year and South Alabama, those two, I'm just like, I can't South, South Bama. I, I have them in week one against Tulane, but I like wanted to bet them to win the Sun Belt and like they were the favorites. And I'm just like, I can't do that. Yeah. Speaking of that, did so you do like, so I was looking at that one. I couldn't really get a strong conviction either way, but curious what you think on it. Yeah, I mean, we could we could just talk about it. it. Doesn't have to even be like you got to bet this now or anything. I mean, markets moved. I mean, Tulane juice six and a half, maybe a seven pops again. But I think South Alabama. This team is going to be like maybe I don't want to say like New Year six Tulane good, but like this team is going to be one of the best group of five teams in the entire country this year with what they bring back. I mean, the offense like. You compare them to Troy. Troy's defense was so far superior to uh, mm-hmm. anyone in the Sun Belt, but their offense was terrible. And you look at last year, South Alabama was kind of like that perfect medium where above average on offense, above average on defense, probably even close to elite on defense. I just think South Alabama is going to hit the ground running in Tulane. Big market overreaction here. I mean, this is a team with a win total of, I think it's like eight and a half, nine. Home field too. I just think... A lot of love going the way, and this is a veteran South Alabama team that I think could hang with the wave. I just think I don't feel comfortable with what's gone, and you lose Ty J Spears. I know Pratt's back, but transitioning defensive coordinator um, for Tulane's defense, of course, obviously. Um, now at I, now I'm getting confused because all the Marshall changed, but I think he's at Marshall now, or maybe I kind of lost. But they lost Tulane lost their defensive coordinator in the spring, and they had to replace him late because of what happened with Miami and Marshall. So I think you're going to see South Alabama hit the ground running a little bit faster than Tulane. And I think they're live for an upset, to be honest with you. I think Tulane's getting really overrated in this, in this spot. Yeah. Interesting. No, I had kind of the same takeaways and, you know, I, I think we can sometimes undervalue uh, running backs in college football versus, you know, NFL that argument has been beaten over the head, but, <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, I, I think Taji Sharp was unbelievable in college and I, you know, it's he was just such an instant game breaker when the offense was, you know, coming to a halt a little bit. You know, he, they just his chunk plays were just incredible, and like, you know, I, it's hard to really quantify it. But I think that's actually going to be a big loss for them. 
I agree. I mean, Spears is electric. He's the he's the future of uh, the Titans. I will. So I I looked it up because I had to pull up my notes quick. Uh, they lost their defensive coordinator and they hired Shieldwood from Troy, who built up that elite defense. But he came in and like after the spring game, I just think like maybe that defense isn't full systems go like it was last year. And I just think you're getting a really nice number. I mean, South Alabama. You look at last year. They took UCLA to the wire yeah. uh, on the road. Like this was a damn good South Alabama team and they returned a bunch back. I mean, it's what 19 offense. starters, right? Or yeah, some, somewhere I, higher on there. Yeah. Yeah. Quarterback uh, Bradley's back running backs back. And I mean, Tulane's offense very above average, but this is a veteran South Alabama defense and Tulane's off. I'd say their offensive line, a little suspect uh, 66 in sacks allowed 48th in tackles for loss allowed did a good job of staying ahead of schedule, but I just think losing a guy like Spears, maybe like that explosive play that like where they could really rip off a 25 yard game, get some good field position. I think losing that might hurt them, especially early in the season, laying a number against a really comparable opponent. In my opinion, I think these two teams are closer than this Mark is giving credit for. Like, obviously I don't want to be like that guy. Like, Oh, bet them now. Like I have seven, like, you know, bet uh, six and a half, like, you know, but I, I do like, I can't, you can't play Tulane in this game. To me, it's South Alabama or pass. And if a seven pops, I would take South Alabama. All right, let's let's talk some of the bigger games, though, because it is week one, big slate, and we'll just run through, and maybe a bet will uh, come to be here. Let's talk LSU, FSU. Obviously, crazy game last year. Uh, LSU comes back against Florida State, first game of Brian Kelly. They missed the extra point to force overtime. FSU wins, but, you know, LSU probably – finishes on a higher trajectory with like the Alabama one and stuff. FSU picks up some own, picks up their own momentum and they return a ton. And we're going to talk about that, but I think this team's being a little overrated. Not that they're not a damn good team, but you look back at who they beat on their run. They beat one team with more than six wins after October. And it was Syracuse who was a course by that time. So I'm just not sure how good Florida state is. We'll say it's essentially a Florida State home game. It's in Orlando, if I'm not mistaken. Um, LSU's favored. I got the spread up here. Call it two and a half. Um, You could probably find better, but inside of a field goal, total sitting at 58 and a half. Smitty, what are your thoughts on this game? I have no bets, and I think I'm going to be sitting on the sidelines for this one. Yeah, you know, I I think I'm the same. I'll probably be hopping into this one live uh, at some point if I see something that catches my eye. But, you know, I agree with the sentiment. I think – FSU kind of it's not not the same because NC State's not on the same you know from a you know boosters mm-hmm. and just overall you know capital perspective as this Florida State but it kind of feels like that to me last year where it's like hey, are we I think we're doing a little too much but uh, you know but at the same time this is probably one of the spots where you if you're looking at them for a values perspective you, you might be getting them you know essentially a home dog here uh, but yeah I mean Jordan Travis I, I really like him um, and you know, Jaden Daniels I just he just doesn't quite do it for me you know, I just think if FSU can make him play from the pocket a little bit more I think they're secondary you know that's gonna it's it's gonna be a kind of a classic you know I'm not offering much <laughs> you know extreme insight here but you know it's gonna be contested third downs who what receivers can make a play here and there it's gonna be snugly you know I would be shocked if it's not uh so you know maybe having the two and a half in your back pocket or if you can hop in live and you know maybe cross a key number at some point on whichever side you're liking but you know definitely the game I'm most excited to watch but yeah I'm kind of with you I don't know that I have a, a very valuable gambling insight yeah, on this one I feel like 
everyone has the same sentiment about Jalen Daniels. Meanwhile, he's like the second choice to win the Heisman. Like I don't, I don't really yeah. like him either, but I, you got to give him credit. Made a lot of plays last year, especially LSU's offensive line, in my opinion, was probably the weakest part of the team. I mean, outside of t- like for sure. Total. I mean, they, he was getting crushed last year. Uh, I believe it was 45 sacks last year outside of top 100 for sure. I'm, FSU has some havoc drivers on the defense line. They get in the backfield, but I wonder if LSU could maybe open up the passing game, which we both kind of agree. Jalen Daniels is not a great downfield passer. This was a team that was you know, bottom 20 in explosive pass rate, but FSU's defensive line, 111th in defensive line yards and LSU's offensive line, I think has to take a jump. I mean, you have some a ton back. I think mm-hmm. they are bound to take a jump, maybe even not, a massive one, but even a step in the right direction is anything. Maybe LSU could open up the passing game and they could do it by establishing the run, you know, staying ahead of schedule. And then you take some downfield shots with guys like Malik Neighbor streaking down the sideline. Maybe that's the path. I find myself kind of leaning the LSU side, but I don't feel as comfortable to play it. I kind of like the over, but again, I just, I don't have a ton of insight here because I think both these teams are a little polarizing and I could see the game playing out any which like I could see a bunch of different scenarios here. So it's not giving me a ton of incentive to get involved here. I I, I would say look at I mean Florida State's offense probably has the higher floor and ceiling, but I also trust this LSU defense quite a bit here, year two. Um yeah, I mean they're gonna have the yeah. best player on the field in Perkins. So that's he. I was so impressed watching him as a true freshman. Like he, I would literally just watch him. Like it's very rare for me to just single out on a defensive player yeah. who are watching a game. It was just if you watch him on a down to down perspective, he was one of the most impressive players in college football as a true freshman. I, I would say one spot where maybe LSU gets tested is in the secondary because Florida State, of course, Wilson's back. They land Keon Coleman, who's an absolute stud for Michigan State, and if Travis has enough time maybe a few deep shots get let up. LSU was taken advantage of at times downfield, uh, you know, outside the top 100 explosive pass defense. So maybe that's the weak spot and Norvell could draw up a few big plays, but I don't know. I wish maybe it's the total for me. Cause I do kind of, I see a path for both offenses getting going. Maybe this drops there's 50, if 57 and a half gets widely available, maybe that's, my buy-in point it did open 55 and a half so it's a little late to the party there but maybe if it's like second half over or something like that yeah no i i think i agree with most of your sentiments there and yeah i hate that i don't have a strong conviction <laughs> on a game uh with that marquee on a slate that's you know not as good as you usually get on week one but i can't wait to settle in and watch it for sure that that's definitely appointment television utah floor is the other one probably should start with one and got in chronological order uh this is a thursday night game We've seen a lot of line movement in this one. Utah's back to around like a juice six and a half, seven point favorite because Cam Rising is on the depth chart as QB1. Of course, Rising towards ACL in the Rose Bowl. Whittingham has been like tight lipped uh, completely about him and Kuthi, the star tight end. Um, I still, just based on how this has been reported the entire summer, I still struggle to see Cam Rising playing in this game given. When he got hurt, he hasn't been at practice, but now like he's on the depth chart as QB1. I think this is more gamesmanship than anything. I just mean, do you have any insight, any opinion on if he's going to play or how you're attacking this game? 
Yeah, that's my gut instinct as well. It seems like a little gamesmanship. And, you know, even if he does play, I think last year he had 90 or 91 yards. Like, I don't think you can undervalue how important his legs and he's very underrated runner. I mean, he doesn't really look like he's with the classic awkward kind of white quarterback that, that runs around, but he's just so efficient when he does decide to use his legs. And, you know, in a game like this where, you know, every first down is going to be like, what? If he's forced to play from the pocket, I, I think that plays in Florida's favor in a big, big time way. Um, and you know, I kind of just lean towards I think this role kind of suits uh, Billy Napier in Florida a little bit better. Um, I just they, they were pesky last year. Was it against um, Alabama or not Alabama? I'm sorry. Um, Tennessee early. Uh, so I, yeah, I don't know. Really. I just yeah, I, I just I don't know. I it's and also it might be the SEC, you know, homer in me a little bit where it's like I'm kind of hard, you know, Utah prides themselves on throw line and D line, which obviously stands up in the Pac 12. But it's like, you know, Florida's got a different class of athletes down there, too. So, you know, what happens if that push and that strength that they're relying on isn't as reliable as they might have thought in the pregame? And, you know, rising is obviously limited. So I don't, if I, if a seven hits again, I think you said they might be out there now. I, I, I don't know it's going to be a big play for me, but I keep coming back to Florida at uh, a to touchdown. Yeah, I agree. I think this is Florida or pass, especially just given the uncertainty. Like, this isn't one where it's like, oh, Cam Rising's going to play, like, take Utah because, like, you're going to get closing linebacker. Like, I don't think that's what this mm -hmm. is. Even if he's going to play, I still don't even think it. First of all, total now sitting at 46. Get Lend your hand to the dog. And you mentioned Florida, the athletes. I will note, obviously, you're playing at elevation in a tough spot like Rice Echoes. But, again, I just think – the spot doesn't lend itself to Utah. We both don't think Rising's playing. So also the backup, Brandon Rose, he had like a kidney. That yeah, he's he hurt as well, right? Yeah. So you're looking at the third string. And listen, I I watched I watched pretty much every single one of Graham Mertz's games. I went to Wisconsin. I'm very well, very well aware of Graham Mertz's game. He's terrible, but I just think that Florida's defensive line. I love their defensive coordinator uh, hire from Southern Miss Armstrong. He built back-to-back -to -back top 25 defenses in the entire country last year in terms of success rate. So I think Florida's defense and MO is going to be, we're going to keep this one on the ground. We're going to, you know, underneath have, make it easy for Graham Mertz. And I think Utah is going to be back up against it against a really stout defensive line in Florida. And I think this one's going to be a grinder, you know, again, low total 45 and a half, 46, I don't know if Utah's really taking the top off this Florida defense. I mean, last year, I know Anthony Richardson was there and it was fully healthy, but like even that game wasn't super high scoring. I can't remember what the total was, but final 29-26, I just I, – I, that that score won't be repeated. I think it's dog or pass for sure. And, again, if a seven pops, I think Florida's definitely the side. For sure. And, yeah, I almost forgot about Graham Mertz there. So, yeah, I think uh, <laughs> I, I forgot how much uh, how much I'm going to hate myself uh, when it comes around Thursday night. But it is what it no, is. No, I mean, you look at – again, you mentioned Tennessee. They hung around early. I believe it was a backdoor for Florida in that one, 38-33. And then uh, Florida State, they cover as, like, big underdogs in that one, 45-38. I think, like you said, Billy Napier, he's been money as a dog dating back to his ULL days. So I agree that – this is going to set up, I think, nicely for Florida to hang around in this game and get a cover home. I Yeah, and Mertz will at least have weapons, much more weapons than they ever had at Wisconsin yeah. with. Uh, Johnson, ETN, I like Persall. I think run heavy. I, I think, yeah, Florida's offensive line should be stocked up. They got a handful of transfers. Maybe it doesn't gel against Utah's defensive line, but this should be an ugly game, and I'll happily, you know, dog or pass for sure.
next game Duke Clemson. If you guys have listened to the preseason previews, you know, I'm very high on Clemson. This is kind of the team for me that, you know, I've exposed myself like futures wise in terms of like Heisman playoff undefeated season, stuff like that. Smitty, do you share a similar sentiment with Clemson? Do you think they're back? And how do you figure this matchup against Duke? Yeah, I mean, I think with Clemson bringing in Riley is just like, I don't think we can, and I agree with your overall, if it's the hit that we think it's going to be, and it's more of an indictment on the previous regime, it's like, it was just so frustrating to watch their simplistic offense. And it's just like, you know, just, you have the athletes, just like, it kind of reminds me of when Saban finally just took the keys and gave the keys away and just like, all right, let's, let's change what we're doing here. Uh, so I, I agree with you on that, that front, the, thing that's kind of bothering me a little bit is I really do like Duke. Uh, I think Riley Leonard is probably one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the country that if you haven't, you know, the college football, you know, sickos obviously know who he is, but if you haven't been acquainted with him, you'll be impressed with him Monday night uh, for sure. I'm very confident in that. So yeah, it's, I kind of was looking at Duke, but you know, the more I kind of dug in and it's like, you know, if the, the Riley offense and Clemson's clicking, like they could just kind of run away and hide on this one because Duke simply doesn't have the athletes to to hang around. But, you know, at the same time, if does Dabo, you know, become Dabo and, you know, kind of throttle it back a little bit, even when he shouldn't. And, you know, maybe you're looking at a sweat uh, late when you probably shouldn't be. I certainly wouldn't be surprised to see that either. Yeah, I think my my first look in this game was over and it was sitting at like 54 and a half, 55. And I didn't play it and got steamed up, but it's come back down. It's at 55 and a half. 55, I I think I'm going to get in here. The more I we agree, Clemson should take a pretty substantial offensive jump with Garrett Riley taking over the play calling. Has a stud, in my opinion, in Cade Klubnik, who this isn't like a, a first-time quarterback. Again, like while he struggled last year at times, he got like a fair amount of reps. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, enough where there's no like real adjustment period. He should be able to hit the ground running this year. Clemson's offense, for all the crap we give it, still graded out 30th in success rate last year. The team lived ahead of schedule. So we say it's bad because like Clemson now is compared to the top five programs in the entire country. And, you know, DJU looks like a stiff back there to me, Duke's defense being a little overrated. I know they bring a lot back and they won a lot of games last year. Mike Elko, great coach, all that. They were outside the top 100 in success rate last year. So I wonder if Clemson is able to really, kind of impose its will on this Duke defense. Clemson can have a massive size advantage pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Offense versus defense. And you mentioned Riley Leonard. Maybe this game gets into something where it's like Clemson's in the 40s, Duke's in like the mid to high 20s, something like a 41-28, like that that type of match, like that type of scoreline where this gets over. Because I think Clemson, we're going to see a jump there. But like you mentioned, I think Duke has a pretty decent uh, offensive floor in this one. I think Clemson's defense damn good. And I guess like to me, I don't know, maybe I'm just too high on Clemson. I'm setting myself up to sound stupid, but to me, it's Clemson rolls like something big where Duke's offense can't get going, or it's like Clemson's offense gets going, but Duke with Riley Leonard and some of the returning pieces is able to get into the mid to high twenties. This game goes over. I don't really see like Duke shutting down Clemson in this one. Am I being kind of naive about this one? No, I don't think so at all. I think the the window for Duke being competitive in the game is exactly like you mentioned. I I I, I just don't see. It. Yeah, it would take probably some red zone, you know, 
serious, you know, miscalculations and lack of execution and some pivotal things going their way to really, you know, hang tight. Yeah. I, I think that's probably the back door might be wide open uh, for Duke from that perspective, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the, you brought up some great points on Clemson where I like, yeah, we're, we're judging them against them, Pat, their past selves. And it's like, you know, even with DJ, you know, being brain dead back there at times last year, you know, still graded out pretty successfully. So, you know, if everything clicks and I don't think we have any reason to believe it wouldn't. Uh, yeah. I, I think that that's, that, would certainly play right into uh, the way the game is going to go. Yeah. I think also like where Duke struggled specifically on defense was against the pass. And like Duke won a lot of games last year and all the credit to them. They were also number two in turnover margin and they didn't really play an elite offense. They had, if you look back at Duke's schedule from last year, they just, they kind of skated by and listen, you play who's on your schedule and stuff, but they skated by all the elite offenses. And then the ones that they did play, I mean, they beat Wake Forest at the end of the season, but Wake put up 31 points. Pitt's offense, pretty underwhelming last year. They let up 38 to UNC. They let up 35 to Kansas. So that's kind of, and then I don't even count UCF in the bowl game because UCF was a shell of themselves in that game. And they did, didn't really uh, give a full accounting of themselves in that one. So I just, I think Duke's being a little overrated on the defense side of the ball. I think Clemson considering Duke struggled against the pass specifically, again, just to pull up those numbers, 91st in EPA per play against the pass, 116th in success rate. I think Clemson, this might be narrative but like wants to set a set a standard this year that like we have Kate Klubnik, we have Garrett Riley calling the plays, like we're going to rip off some chunk plays. We're going to get this passing game going to where it was a handful of years ago, not what it was the past two years, in my opinion. So I think Clemson incentivized here to put up some points and keep their – pedal uh foot on the pedal and get this one into you know clemson breaks high 30s 40 points smitty any other games you want to hit on uh or we said unc south carolina because you were thinking about a play here you haven't played it yet but you want to maybe suss it out with me so unc south carolina it's not a neutral it's not it's in charlotte so kind of pseudo north carolina but it's not so far for south carolina either Current market sits at the Tar Heels laying. I want to get as accurate as possible. And I can't find up. Oh, there we go. Uh, two and a half total of 64 and a half. How do you see this going? UNC South Carolina. Yeah, game I've been struggling struggling with, excuse me, uh, yeah, that I, I brought up to you. Uh, it's I just keep kind of coming back to like, yeah, Drake May is great, but like if Drake, if the quarterback's name wasn't Drake May, like, is there any world that North Carolina's favorite here? I just don't like their O line. I think is awful. Uh, it's probably going to get exploited, and you know all the things that they want to do offensively. It's like if they're if South Carolina is living in the backfield, which I have every reason to believe they will. It's going to be difficult. You know, obviously the all all the offseason previews and you know intel you can gather from South Carolina doesn't look great as far as you know personnel and things like that. But you know, I thought Rattler took a step forward last year. Um, you know, they showed some explosiveness and you know I think Beamer's just a, a pretty good coach that I trust uh right now. So you know I just I'll probably end up walking myself into a South Carolina play. But uh yeah, I mean I just I don't know. I'm just not there with North Carolina. To me it's either you can't like you said you can't trust North Carolina as a favorite. I just I'm down on South Carolina this year. I feel like Beamer, and maybe this is just a credit to him because he's a good coach and stuff. I just feel like he kind of has a horseshoe up his ass and like they won. Yeah. Like they finished last year eight and four. I think the market kind of saw through that though and knows like, 
they got Tennessee after all that, and then Hooker gets hurt, and then they stun Clemson in the finale. I would, I, if I were to play this, I'd play South Carolina probably just because it's like take whoever the dog is because I don't trust either team really. Maybe it's the over. I know it's high, but I think South Carolina's defense is real bad. Where they were last year and how they defended the pass specifically. You look at South Carolina's numbers from last year. I'll just rattle off a few. South Carolina, first off, 110th in total sacks, um, 103rd in red zone touchdown percentage allowed, 111th in success rate. I mean, just absolutely carved up and, you know, 97th and third down uh, conversion percentage. I mean, this was a bottom of the barrel defense. It looks like Walker is going to get his waiver to play in this one. That's still up in the air for UNC. I think I saw he was practicing even, so like he's expecting to play. I think Drake May could keep this game close. And it's more of a back and forth last one with ball, probably leading me towards the over. But I, I can't hate if you end up on South Carolina in this one. Um, I will say another note that I had in like my preseason um, like research and stuff, uh, Dal Loggins, the new South Carolina OC. So it seemed like there was a shift in philosophy when South Carolina took the play calling away from uh, uh, now I'm drawing, Satis, Satisfield, um, took the play calling away from him, the offensive coordinator. He's now gone. And they simplified the offense, let Rattler kind of be him and cook. And that led to the big jump. And now they bring in Dal Loggins, who doesn't have the best track record, I would say. Didn't come in with glowing reviews. Um, limited experience as well. Um, now trying to pull up. I believe he was with the Tennessee Titans um, in the past. Let me just see here. Yep, yeah. offensive coordinator and quarterback He's coach. Adam Gase disciple, I believe. Yeah. He was under so, his tree at some point. Yeah, so comes from, yeah <laughs> Jets uh, offensive coach in 2019-2020. So comes from the Adam Gase uh, family tree, which isn't a glowing recommendation. So I would say that's maybe a question mark for the South Carolina offense and going out and winning this game against – you know, Drake May and this North Carolina offense that has a pretty high floor. I can't hate you though, for taking South Carolina, in my opinion, I, I lean towards the over. I have a feeling though, this is kind of a stay away game for me. No strong opinion here, but yeah, that if you got nothing else, mate, that will do it for us. Any other plays, any other things, any other ideas you have going into the year that you want to share out into the uh, podcast world? Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, the last thing I'll, I'll end on is, uh, you yeah. know, I just, Team I follow the cl- the closest is Kentucky, and you know I think just from a value perspective, I think that you know, obviously the I think the lid's kind of been blown off with some of the national media being excited with them, but I don't think you can really understate how bad the offensive coordinator was last year. Um, you know, to get fired after one year in Lexington, where Stoops gets an extension each year that he wins seven games, is pretty telling. <laughs> he was willing to move on after a year, and Liam Combs back, uh, Leary if he's healthy, which you know obviously he's a big if, but it sounds like all camp reports are great, mm-hmm. and the wide receiving core was uh, Barry and Brown and, and uh, Dane Key, Tavion Robinson was just so underutilized that you know, if you just find a way to just kind of dumb it down and make it simplistic, um, you know, I don't, I don't know where they'll end up, but I think it's just a team that, I, you know, I, it's a homer take, but it's a team that I watched the most that I think they kind of showed last year that, you know, even when, you know, crap at the fan, the floor, them still pretty high in the SEC, which for Kentucky is amazing. So I think it's just kind of a team. I think they're over like seven wins right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would, I would be shocked if they, if they don't at least, you know, clip seven. So I think it's just a team I'm generally kind of bullish on. Uh, so yeah, I'll wait for the, uh, the Homer comments, but uh, just, <laughs> just my two cents there. No, I, I agree with you. I think Kentucky's in for a big year. I loved Leary last year at NC State. I think, that, you know, obviously season got cut short with the injury, but I think 
there's Kentucky's floor has been very high under Stoops. And now you're replacing, in my opinion, you could argue who's better, Will Levis or Devin Leary. I, I think Leary for my money is probably better. And I'd agree. Get, yeah, look, get Cohen back. I think Kentucky, I think they're going to absolutely dust ball state. I think uh, Kentucky team total over in that one too. I think they're, they're going to try and put up a number. I think they could easily crack into the forties there and probably go over the total by themselves in my opinion. Um, so no, no gripes for me. I'm, I'm with you on Kentucky. I don't know if they could beat Georgia. And, uh, no, that's not happening. But... That's not going to happen. But, uh, <laughs> but, we'll take the Mizzou's and the South Carolinas and the yeah. Vandy's all day. <laughs> yeah. You could clean up all the rivalry games and, you know, still go to a, you know, New Year's Eve, New Year's Six Bowl, maybe outside shot at that. But, uh, you know, nothing wrong with, you know, eight, nine wins though, especially when George is in your division. Yeah, for sure. No, we'll take the Citrus Bowl all day and be happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Great stuff. This is a great episode. Really, I mean, got into a handful of games today, so I'm pumped about that. Best bets from me that are going to be on the Google Sheet, which I'll attach inside the podcast. Uh, my best bet, uh, San Jose State, Oregon State, over 54 and a half, and ULM plus 10. You can follow him on Twitter. Uh, Smitty, are you going to be tweeting out plays that, like, I saw you tweeted Saturday, some bets. Are you going to be doing that all season? Any yeah. sort of content plan you have this season? Now's your time. Let us know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I will be uh, tweeting out plays. Going to try and get back into more long form with writing. So, yeah, I will be posting links to that. So, yeah, I appreciate you uh, letting me plug it. Yeah, for sure. I'll put your Twitter handle inside the podcast link, but it's at Smithers513. Thank you all for tuning in. Make sure to like and subscribe to the early read. Give it five stars. We'll be back later this week with a full best bet show with me. We'll talk to you next time.